0: What's up guys, welcome back to another episode of the E4 Explosive Podcast. I'm Corey, and today we have evolutionary psychologist, Robert Kurzban. This conversation is fascinating. We talk about literally everything, social media, Me Too, cancel culture, uh, psychology, serial killers, everything. We run the gamut here with Robert and he's just an impressive person. So I was glad to talk to him. So you're really gonna enjoy this one. Hit that like button. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel Also, hit that bell notification so you get notified every single time I post to my channel. So enjoy this episode of the podcast with evolutionary psychologist Robert Kersman. I'll see you next time. Peace out. What's up, guys? Today's episode of the E4 Explosive Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. They're the best in men's below the waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels, Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer. This guy, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the Lawnmower 4.0. It's got a flashlight. So join over two million men worldwide, just like me, that trust Manscaped, and get an exclusive offer just for you. You're gonna get 20% off plus worldwide free shipping. Use the code Explicit20 at Manscaped.com. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the EE4 Explosive Podcast. I'm Corey, and today we have a special guest, Robert Kurzban, who is an evolutionary psychologist, um, very smart human being, which I love to talk to people that are way smarter than me, uh, so I can learn a lot about what they got going on, their, their research and stuff like that. But uh, hey, Robert, could you give me um, a quick synopsis of my watchers and listeners of like, who you are, your career, and stuff like that, you know, the university you used to work at, and kind of like your, your range of studies, if possible?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, I did my graduate work at Santa Barbara. So I studied with a husband-wife team, Lita Cosme's and John Tooby. If your viewers are interested in evolutionary psychology, they're sort of two of the names in the in the business. After that, I did a couple of years uh, in an economics department with a guy named Vernon Smith. And then I did a couple of years at UCLA with an anthropologist named Rob Boyd. And then I did a little bit of time at Caltech with an economist Colin camera. So you can see I sort of mixed and matched social sciences, Mm -hmm. uh, anthropology, economics, psychology. But my degree was in psychology. And then I um, spent some time at the University of Pennsylvania, where I uh, I was there for about 15 years. And um, that takes us to today.
0: Nice. And you're in Philly, right?
1: I'm in Philly. I'm still in Philly. That's right. Nice. So I, I now work for um, a little nonprofit, a very, you know, a little change of pace. So I work for a little nonprofit here in town.
0: Awesome. Yeah. That's cool that you like kind of like have different integrations of like your education and your experience. Like I, I talked to a quite a bit of a economists on my podcast and, um, I've talked to, not which is not paleontologists, um, archaeologists, you said? Anthropologists, yeah. Anthropologists, yeah. yeah. I talked to a paleontologist, a, a oh, couple from uh, George Mason. They were fascinating, but that's cool. I like how you have like different, you're not just like centered in one thing. You kind of have a, a broad um, kind of catalog.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, and this might be interesting to people. So for evolutionary psychology, you sort of have to have a bunch of different pieces in your pocket to, I think, do it well, because the, the ideas sort of turn to a large extent on evolutionary biology. So you got to know a lot of biology. Biology itself requires a bunch of game theory if you're going to do evolution well, so you got to know some economics. Right. And then the methods draw from lots of different disciplines, you know, anthropology and, and psychology and economics. So, um, I think, you know, I think my, my interests generally run pretty broad, but it's helpful to have a lot of different pieces of the puzzle when you're trying to, trying to get it right.
0: Right. No, I totally agree with you. I think you, you, you're, if you're more vast in those things and different topics, you can kind of shift in, and stuff like that. And especially in conversations and stuff, uh, you know, in your work too, kind of is like the stuff I was reading, it spans like a, a bunch of different topics.
1: yeah so i didn't exactly answer that so i started out looking at um most of my stuff is human social behavior so i started out thinking about cooperation groups how do people make decisions about when to be selfish when to be altruistic and uh, then i did some work on um, morality so i did i thought a lot about where does the moral judgment come from what's it for and then later on in my career, I did some stuff on self-control and willpower and the sense of effort. So, like, why does it, why is it fun to do Wordle? Since I imagine everyone now does Wordle, but it's not fun to take an SAT verbal exam. Like they're kind of similar in some respects. And yet you would maybe pay to do one, but you pay not to do the other, right? So I, I've gotten interested in, you know, friendship and again, like I said, morality. I've done some stuff on political judgments. I, you know, when when you're young and, and you don't have like a focus, they call you diffuse. But once you get kind of a little bit further along and you have a lot of interest they call you broad so now now i get to be broad and you are broad i'm broad yeah (laughs) you know it's like it's like when you retire you're no longer a politician you're a statesman you know what i mean yeah right
0: it's like what like yeah what what happened there um well okay i'm glad you brought that up because uh i want to talk about effort that's what i kind of wanted to start off with the one of the readings you sent me was um you know i kind of wanted to like the cost of of effort right of exerting effort and stuff like that and then what is like actual mental effort right because in in your readings it's like survival and like uh stuff like that so when it comes to effort what do you mean
1: yeah i don't know i mean (laughs) yeah (laughs) the first thing about this is like i started i started thinking about this a long time ago and the first thing i realized is man it it's complicated like sometimes it's the simple things that are really complicated. you might think that the basic stuff has been figured out but i I always found in my career that it was the the details that got you know like we know a lot about how atp works something that's complicated but you know we know down to the little covalent bond, whatever's in there but like big picture what is morality for how does it will so i don't know here's kind of the way i've been thinking about it so like and i think everything from an evolutionary point of view so which is really just a functional point of view like what's it for so like you know you're you're doing some task. And at some point, you know, there's other things you could be doing and evolution sort of has to build a mechanism that sort of says, okay, well, when should I stop doing this and switch to something else? It's a little bit like, I think of it as like optimal foraging. So again, I come from this background biology. If you're, if you're like a rodent and you're eating some berries in a patch, as you eat the berries, you're getting less and less of them because you eat the good ones first. And then there's fewer berries. And then at some point you figure out, okay, well, I should go to another patch, you know, cause this was, you know, but how do you make a decision? And so you kind of like got away the the benefits that you're getting from eating the berries against the, you know, the cost of traveling to a new one and, mm-hmm. and the, whatever. So I think efforts like evolution's way of saying this thing you're doing, it's not, you know, you got to be pretty sure that what you're doing is useful because um, you, it's not really being great. For, this is not a good decision for you right now. So the way I think about it is like, it's evolution's way of saying, maybe you should, do something else. Effort is like, a, it's, it's just a, it's like telling you what is the cost of continuing to do this in the same right. way that if you're sitting there at the belly berry patch and you're not getting any berries, you're like, what am I
0: doing here? Why am I here? Yeah, yeah. What am I it's doing? interesting. So would you like, okay, for example, I'm going to talk about myself personally. So I have, I put a lot of effort. It's funny. I put a lot of effort in things that, that I actually like to do. Like my background is in film and editing and video. This is so funny. For my work, my real job, I'm a director of marketing for a franchise. So a piece of that is filming and editing videos and content. I absolutely hate it.
1: How funny!
0: But when I'm doing this and I'm talking to people like you and I'm editing TikTok videos and full two hour long videos and adding all this, I love it. Yeah. Would that be kind of, I also have ADHD. So is that like an effort thing or what?
1: Yeah, I think so. So like, I mean, here here's another crucial piece of the effort, the the way I think about the effort model is that you know, you have these little parts of your brain, and some of them only do one thing, like your eyes, they just see, they don't do anything else, but you've got these other parts of your brain, you know, working memory, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And you could be doing lots of different things with your working memory. You could be planning, you could be, you know, paying attention to the current shoot, you could be whatever, you could be, right. you know, trying to remember something. And that's the key piece about this, which is that whenever you're using the fancy parts of your mind for one particular thing, the cost of that, and this is where the economics comes in. So economists have a word dug about this, the opportunity cost. So the opportunity cost of doing X is the value of whatever it is you're not doing. Same thing. If you buy a chocolate bar, the opportunity that caught that chocolate bar is whatever you didn't buy with a couple of bucks. Well, these right. days, five the like that, that you didn't. So like, and then for your example, you know, when you're doing the stuff that people pay for, you know, there's other stuff that you could be doing that you would enjoy more. And so that's sort of the, that's, that's in my view where the sense of effort comes from. It's like, I'm doing this thing. Yeah, it makes me money, but I don't, you know it's not giving me the kind of rewards. Like that's the other crucial piece is that the question is always, what is like the, the, the currency that the mind uses is like, what's rewarding? What do I enjoy? And so that could be anything from actual money to, you know, food to, you know, interesting experiences. And so I think of it as like in the same way that foraging is asking the question, how much reward am I getting from these berries? Effort is asking this question, how much reward am I getting from doing this thing? By the way, I just started, this is a complete digression. But, <laughs> yeah, fine. but I looked at a couple of your other videos. I feel like, eh, he's cool with diggers. I just started doing um, Duolingo. And you know, one of the things that the, the way they gamify these things is it's it's uh, taking advantage is too strong, but it's let's say recruiting your sort of effort and reward psychology. So mm-hmm. it's like, Oh, I got six gems, which of course I don't care at all. in yes. abstractions. And yet it's like, I want more, no, I want more, I want more gems. So that's kind of the crucial piece. And that's how, of course you can motivate yourself is to give yourself rewards for, for whatever. And that's of course how your employer motivates you. Cause they pay you when you're doing the sound editing or the video, yep. whatever it is that you do, which I don't yep. know. So like, yeah, I, I think that's, and that's why, you know, Evolution has all these sort of primary rewarders, like things that taste good, things that look pretty, things that look attractive. And that's why it's very easy to get into doing all of those things. Same thing for media, by the way, right? Like these stories that we watch, they're just enjoyable because they're hitting that sort of aesthetic sense of, okay, that was rambling.
0: No, no, it's funny you say that because my fiance, like her and her friend, they did Duolingo like a while ago to learn French. And they were actually like learning like French, like very, but the reward was like, oh, I got to get this. I'm getting this. I'm yeah. beating these other people. I know. It was, it's it crazy. It's genius.
1: Yeah. So they've also recruited this incredibly powerful psychology of status that we, people have, right? So everyone craves status or whatever micro domain, right? Oh, you for sure. anything like, oh, I do the hobby horse, but I want to be better than my, these guys, you, mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And so that, that's, a, so they put you in the league of 30 people. So they, you know, the human psyche, for better works worse, is motivated to strive for status along whatever metric the culture values, right? So if the culture values, you know, being a good horse rider or whatever, making a big pumpkin or, or, you know, and then particularly when they gamify it, so it's quantifiable, like being in the top 10 of the Pearl League on, and then that, that animates the, that, you know, motivates the organism. And um, again, that's a way to sort of block up against the effort psychology because learning French or Spanish is is effortful in this sense right so it recruits these mechanisms that you could be so you've got to have something that balances that off mm-hmm. so as long as the reward is is you know high enough relative to the cost which is the thing you, you think you might be doing you're going to keep doing it it's yeah. kind of I got I got I have a lot of respect these people have mastered that aspect of psychology
0: oh for sure yeah it's like yeah. The, it's like almost like a dopamine hit it's like with the like social media I think is an example of that where like uh, it's hard not to get caught up in like your likes and your views and stuff like that. I definitely learned to like not care about that stuff, not care about comments and stuff. Cause it is what it is. I love, I love doing this kind of stuff. Like no one pays me to do this. Like, it's not like it's, you know, I'm not paying you. You're not, it's not like a thing. It's just like a hobby thing. I like to talk to interesting people. So like, I don't look at it that way, but it's just interesting that, uh, in another tangent, but like that Duolingo thing. I've noticed that they, they stopped doing it for, at a certain time. So maybe that risk reward or that, that effort reward kind of went away, you know? Yeah.
1: yeah, I think, I mean, so some of these things habituate over time, right? Mm-hmm. So you can to them. Another analogy I like is um, with exercise or working out. So, yep. you know, you start running, you're doing whatever, doing a nine minute mile, and eventually that it starts to feel more effortful. And the way to think about that is, you know, as you're sort of you know running around, whatever you're doing, there's always risk of some kind of catastrophic injury, or there's sure. some risk, whatever. And so, as you get more fatigued in your system, you know, there's more, no, whatever. That risk goes up, and so that's sort of the sense of effort and exercise. You, you, why, you know, wh- what is it? Why does it feel like something to be tired in that sense? And my, I, th- I think, I don't know, who knows the right answers, but my sense is that the answer to that is, you know, as you've been exercising and the risk gets higher and higher, something bad happening, you know, catastrophic failure, hearted, or whatever it is. You know that sense of effort is evolution's way of saying if you don't really have to do this,
0: right? Maybe you stop,
1: right, and that's why if it feels like shit and you're running for a bear, oh, can I say that on your? No,
0: just, I mean, yeah, uh, I it can is. All the you think time. You're yeah, it's, you could be. You could be explicit. Yeah.
1: Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, like if you're, if there's a bear. You're like, oh, this is really painful, but you're like, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm running running, right? So evolution has a system in place that makes it unpleasant when you really don't want it to be, right? You want it to be fun running. But, but, you know, under under other circumstances, it's sort of saying, well, if you don't have to run, maybe don't. So again, I think the way I think about effort is like it's the suppress what you're doing button. And then mm-hmm. in terms of Duolingo, yeah, it's, these things saturate, the reward saturate. So like, you know, it's great to be in the, in the, it was great to go from one thing to the next and then you get to the next you're like, oh, that was good but you know this is the problem with this is the the base of the hedonic treadmill i don't know you've had a bunch of psychologists on your your podcast you know so many of your viewers might know or listeners the hedonic treadmill which is you know you get to this this thing that you wanted and then you realize oh i want the next thing now so you never you never get to the point where like oh cool yeah i'm like where i want to be which is why i was impressed with your remark which i won't i won't go down too far but you said that you kind of like don't worry too much about the likes on social media i have to say if you have achieved that that is a state of zen which i think many would admire you know what i mean like that oh no, yeah hard. it's very difficult though it but is hard it's very right? hard. I, don't, I mean i think there's very few people who i mean even the people at the top you know they, and they talk about you know i got fifteen thousand likes and whatever three whatever i i don't do don't social media so i don't know what you get you know um that, that's the people care a lot about that I, for the reason you're talking about you know social yes. stuff gives you dopamine too
0: it does yeah and and it's it, it's hard it's hard i mean i definitely sometimes get involved like i don't think i it's funny because on my tiktok for sure they'll the comments are like messed up like they'll say something messed, up. and i just like kill it with comedy, kill it with kindness. Like I'm never like, I never go down a rabbit hole with these people because I know most of them are trolls. I'm also in the marketing world. So I know a lot of those mechanisms of like what not to do, what to do and stuff like that. So I don't really let like those things bother. I don't have a million subscribers. I don't have a million views. I always look at it. I tell like a lot of our clients for the marketing stuff, they always want that kind of stuff. They're like, oh, I want a million views. I'm like, well, just so you know, a million views or a million likes doesn't, equal a million dollars has very little to do with like actual finances and ROI and stuff like that. So I, not that I look at the podcast as like, uh, you know, I mean, God forbid, yes. If, if, if one day I was able to make a living off of it, hundred percent all in doing that, but it's more of like a hobby thing. So until I get to that level, I still probably won't even care that much about it. The numbers are important if you want to take it to that next level, because if you send it to a, an agency or Spotify, they look at your numbers gonna be like, well, you get 10,000 downloads a month. That's pretty good for a hobbyist. But yeah. is that enough for them to cut me a deal? Absolutely not. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's interesting. It's You got to really toe the line. Um, I won't say I'm 100% bulletproof with that stuff. But for the most part, I, I've, I've developed kind of like a, a tough skin uh, and, and kind of not worried about it. I just publish and publish and publish because eventually... It's inevitable. It's going to happen because consistency is the key to yeah. social media, anyways. But
1: yeah, I mean, I think that's great, and I think it, uh, I don't know. I have complicated feelings about this. I think that if yeah, the 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 sort of effort that people put in to get the likes, um, and what, what make it really insidious, I think, in the modern moment, and this intersects with some of the other stuff I've done, is that. One of the ways that people get social capital, particularly in the in the United States right now, is exactly what you're talking about the trolling, the criticism, mm-hmm. a lot of the the moral grandstanding, right? So, you know the you know who knows what the most popular tweet is, but it's something on the order of that person did something bad, right? So, yeah,
0: hundred percent. Yeah. You know what I mean, like yeah. And,
1: and then the the gratification you get because, you know, a million people who are in that person's social circle or are connected to them on TikTok or I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer. So I don't really, you know, TikTok to me is, you know, it's just like, I miss my generation. Why yeah,
0: skip the things? beat. Yeah. Like, it, uh...
1: yeah I mean, like, um, <laughs> but, you know, you know uh, I think, the gratification you get, you know, you post something like that person is bad. And then 10,000 of your close friends say, Oh, I agree with you. That person is bad. And we are all better than that person. And then that person is like, Oh my God, 10,000 of my friends think I said something cool. And I think this has contributed to, you know, everyone complains about that. But I think there's a deep point here about the relationship between evolved psychology of reward, which has to do with social acceptance and social gratification, social status and the competition for it, right? You've got to be a little bit more of a jerk than the next guy because then you yeah. get the likes and the way that intersects with these macro phenomena, which is how people are using, you know, social media, particularly TikTok and and I think Twitter and to some extent, some of the other, really, like, you know, I, I don't know about some of the other getter, but, you know, certainly to some extent, Facebook as well.
0: Oh, Yeah. yeah.
1: It's interesting to me to think that a lot of the dynamics of these social media things have really been dictated by the rhythm of the appetite for, you know, these likes, the the, the this appetite for social validation, social approval, and what, and then the question of what generates social approval. You know, you might think it's oh. Painting the Mona Lisa, but and to some extent it's true. Oh, here's my NFT. Oh, yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah. That's a cool ape. Okay. Or whatever it is. Yep. But well, I think more it's, you know, uh, that, you know, again, it's I this person did something bad, or you know, Justin Trudeau hates truckers or something. You know what I mean? Like that. Something
0: ridiculous. That might yeah. not even be true. Yeah, no.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the days of it, the truth being relevant, those are those are fun days. You're you're maybe old enough to remember when oh truth. yeah. Yeah.
0: I yeah, know I definitely do. And yeah. it's like, it's now, it's whoever's first is yeah. right, whether they're, you know, and it's no one has to apologize. And there's two things from what you just said is one, one thing that I've realized, which blows my mind, is I talk to, like, you've seen some of the people I talk to, some of the really fascinating people that have like incredible, like yourself, right? Um, And then my biggest video I have is uh, Kel Lowry, who is uh, famous for being on Teen Mom, MTV's Teen Mom and i'm like what <laughs> like i literally have astronauts psychologists you know a paleontologist like all, like economy like these insane homicide detectives that found the, you know gary ridgeway uh you know major people that have like changed thousands and ten thousands of lives and it's just like those get like no love and i'm like what the hell man it's so crazy
1: so interesting yeah again i think this goes back i think you're connecting it up to like this notion i, I like thinking about the evolved psychology of, of reward and i think right. there's different kinds of ways to think about the levels of reward like there's the so-called primary reinforcers which so mm-hmm. you know sweet food you know pretty scenery attractive individuals these are all the things you look at and you're like oh i like that and then you get this next level stuff which is like you know um I don't want to, I don't want to derogate, but you know, McDonald's, it's like, it's not just, you know, sugar, but it's a combination of fats and sugars in this particular way. Mm-hmm. And then at the very you know top of that, that's rewarding is if, if you live in the right culture and you have the right experiences is, you know, like Puccini, <laughs> you know, like a right. very abstract kind of reinforces and you know, it's like an incredibly cool idea that it sounds like you're the kind of person you see an idea, like that's freaking cool. Right. I'm yeah. excited by that. And what, and, and I think, you know, let's just call let's us call that what it is, which is rare. You know, like the number of people who get so excited about it. And I'm not trying to be, you know, I'm, I'm an egalitarian when it comes to what people find reward. Look, if you want to watch the Housewives of Who the Heck Cares, fine, that's fine. That's where you get your. I'm a, I'm a libertarian, right? Like if that's the way you want to train yourself. As long as no one gets hurt, you go ahead and do it. Right. But the the kind of the kind of the crescent that you're talking about, the you know, the, the people who are interested in astronaut, you know, it's just that that doesn't it's not like sugar right that's it's not right. it doesn't hit the low I the mean, low is maybe judgmental but it doesn't hit the the sort of the most basic form of reward yeah. like what are the things people like we like to see the good guy win we like to see you know we like to eat chocolate cake and we like to yeah. you know what you know what i mean it's low-hanging fruit a low-hanging fruit exactly 100%. and then that's what people are consuming and i think that again that goes all the way back to your point about the the social media the low-hanging fruit is you know what you know the you're bad yep. Or, yep. you know or i don't know there's other stuff that's a little bit more abstract like the olympics are happening right now there's something very elegant about you know a perfectly executed there is you know what i mean
0: oh yeah we watched the half pipe last night and we were like super emotional it's it's what's his name um oh my god the snowboarder
1: why don't I... honestly i haven't watched a single second of
0: oh my god i what we uh, uh sean white Oh, like, so, like yeah, it was his last run. So we're like, yeah. oh my, we never watched, like we're never like watching Snow like that stuff, but like in the moment, it's like, oh my God, like this yeah. is amazing. It's so crazy. It's
1: so, yeah, it's sublime somehow, right? It it's is, sublime, it is. It's like amazing poetry. So and this is again, I think this is so interesting. Like I think of it as this kind of the spectrum from the concrete to the abstract. At the mm-hmm. most concrete, you've got the things we mentioned, sweets and salt and fat or whatever. And then the most abstract again is like I said, the cheap, it could be any like, a, a, an idea like for me when i was you know we talked about my academic history when i when i first came across you know evolution in in general but then it's a it's an application to psychology in particular i did one of these like wait what
0: like, yeah
1: <laughs> I mean, first you see the the theory of evolution you like you know because when you're a kid i was whenever i was like in high school and you know, someone works for me the first time i'm like that is such a powerful idea. Right. And then I, I read E.O. Wilson, so we're, I, I don't know how often people, I, so he died just before this, um, unfortunately. So, you know, I, I read sociobiology when I, was, um, when I was younger and that was the first sort of exposure. I had to the idea that you could take these ideas about evolution, which I thought that's about like snails and pigeons and monkeys. Right. And then E.O. Wilson comes along and he says, oh, by the way, we could maybe, I don't know, explain human social behavior. Right. with that idea. And I was like, we, we wait, what? We, what? <laughs> Ding. what? what? Yeah. And that really did put me on the trajectory that I was on. And I had like, I think what you're talking about with the perfect half pipe run is like, I think it's analogous to yes. you what know, the idea of things, but yeah. as you say, most people want to click on the thing that says, you know, cheating husband.
0: Literally. Yeah. It's clickbait. It's, and it's funny. My other part of that was the, have you seen the documentary called the social dilemma on Netflix?
1: I've heard of
0: it. Check it out. It's, okay. it's like, it's, it's phenomenal. It, it's a marketing thing. Cause like in marketing, I do all of these tactics uh, to get people's attention, clickbait, yeah. not so much clickbait, but just very uh, enticing, low hanging fruit stuff. Sure. But the people that are in this documentary that they're interviewing are literally the people who created the like button, who create like all these fascinating things on social media platforms. And at the end, they're rolling the credits and they're interview they're asking them like, hey, you know, are you gonna let your kids have, a phone or be on social media every single one was like absolutely not like it's fascinating
1: that is fascinating I I love the like button I mean what a stroke of frickin cheese I I, I you know. know I, I it's like you wonder if a, you know, 150 years from now people are going to be talking about in sentences they're going to talk about the wheel the plow and the like, like button. button yeah you know, it's that you <laughs> yep. mean, like the list of things that just absolutely yep. change the course of human history maybe that's not quite right but like that does, doesn't seem crazy to me no it that. doesn't you know I mean? it doesn't
0: no it that that makes a lot of sense uh because like those things changed how oh. we even see each other and how, and, and it kind of goes into like the what blows my mind is like when someone dies or when something bad happens or it's always like, okay, you go on, you say your little comment, you like like a school shooting or something, right? Uh, crazy, terrible stuff. And then you like it or you, you sad emoji it, you make a comment and then you move on. There's yeah. no, like back in the yeah. day it was like, yeah. Oh my, I think it's cause there's so much of it happening Not so much of those uh, acts happening, but there's so much uh, exposure to it on different social media outlets that it's kind of like, we're just, dumbed down to it and we're just so used to it now yeah. where we're not really reacting like it's like this oh my god thing if that makes sense
1: yeah no totally i i, and I wonder about that effect sort of in a sociological way because we are exposed to and it's both sides too right mm-hmm. like on the one hand we get exposed if you're on again facebook i feel like is where people tend to put all the great things that happen to right that's your best life twitter is where you're attacking and then tiktok i don't know what to call it. but yeah like, so on the one hand you're li- like imagine i always like to think about what it might have been like in a in a society with you know 150 people around you know and, and then you know imagine that you're in that world and every 20 seconds so you're getting information you're finding out someone just got promoted or someone mm-hmm. just had a baby or someone you know grew a really big watermelon or whatever that you know or right.
0: back tumor, then yeah. i don't know whatever yeah.
1: and you, you must you would just be sitting there like man what am i doing yeah wrong, you know, and, and we talk about, obviously this has come out on this research on, on the relationship between social media use and affect, and John Hyatt has done some Mm -hmm. of this stuff. And it, to me, it doesn't seem that crazy, but then as you're saying, it's the other side too, you know, you, you see someone lost, you lost a, a relative or had some tragic occur to them. And exactly as you're saying, it's like, well, you just get pummeled with this over and over, and eventually you push the hug button, you move on. Does that make us less i i wonder you know paul bloom if you haven't had him on try and get he, he, paul he, he's written a book on empathy i I haven't unfortunately had a chance to read it. it's on the list I'm sorry paul um <laughs> but like it does make you wonder the extent to which um you know there's like a little bit of tax on our empathy that you get you know we're just how much can you empathize if you're seeing all this stuff over yes
0: you know yes I mean? yes that, that that's spot on and it's funny in the doc they talk about like the long-term effects of of this numbness that we all now have. And I mean, I think my generation, I mean, I think I'm, I am a Gen Z. Um, but like, <clears throat> mine was like, the like the beginning of the Gen Z. So the last cusp of like, like, I was always outside playing with my friends, you know, falling down, scraping my knee, I didn't grow up with an iPad or an iPhone in my hand. Yes, we had video games, but they were not like they were today. Uh, so it's like, it's funny, because I feel like I'm like the last like little bit of not hope, but but yeah. like just that generation that kind of fell in that gap. Where like I can appreciate those things, but also understand and appreciate these things that these younger people are going through. But it was just fascinating because like its social network is supposed to bring us together like more than ever, but I feel like it's pushing us more more apart than anything. Uh, yeah,
1: it's interesting. Yeah. I- I wonder if it's pushing us apart or if it's sort of pushing us into local groups. That's, that's how I've sort of been thinking that's about. A good, it. I yeah, don't that's know a good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because, um, you know, when I see people out, I love these pictures of you know people out in a bar.
0: Imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed, optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time. I'm one of the first people to use the Lawnmower 4.0 for Manscaped, and let me tell you, the craftsmanship on this goddamn thing is insane. It will chip away at all that down there. Trust me. I'm talking from personal experience. I use the the lawnmower. Get a little, uh, little, little trimmy, trim, trim. And then I follow up with the ball deodorant. Let me tell you, if you like to go on hikes, if you like to just go outside and it's sweaty or it's hot out, Swamp Ass is non-existent. I could not go anywhere without the ball deodorant. I travel everywhere with it. It is a lifesaver, trust me. Manscaped engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and a grooming experience you'll never forget. The fourth generation trimmer also features a ceramic blade to reduce the risk of accidents. And thanks to their advanced skin safe technology, I feel way more comfortable shaving my boys. The upgraded trimmer also includes an on and off switch that can engage a travel lock. It also gives you the ability to turn on and off the 4000K LED light so you can get a more precise shave. The Lawnmower 4.0 even allows you to cut through that hedge with more guard lengths with sizes 1 through 4. Oh yeah, hey, did I mention um, wireless charging? That's fucking crazy. The new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which allows the battery to last way longer than it used to. Man, listen up. If you've been using the same nut trimmer on your face, you've been doing it all wrong. I don't know about you, but I don't want to end up with pubes in my mouth. It's time to get your own ball hair and body trimmer with Manscaped and make me time the best time. And trust me, you'll enhance your confidence if you got some nice smooth boys down there. Get 20% off plus for shipping when you use the code EXPLICIT20 at manscaped.com. Trust me, your balls will thank you
1: five people all staring at the phone, right? Everyone's seeing yes. whatever. Um, and I think one way to think about that is not that they're not involved in social behavior at that time. Like true. they're being social, just not with those people,
0: you know, true. Yep.
1: maintaining these links to their, whatever they think of as their, as their sort of their core constituents. That's true. You know, one of the other areas that I did some work in with uh, Peter tasholi my former grad student now at Stony Brook is on friendship networks. And in particular, why, why we have these friendships. And you know, the, the fact that one thing that seemed to be true about friendships is that, you know, these structures reproduce themselves everywhere. You know, you can't go to a, I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say that I'm not saying it. i got to be really careful these days. Of course, there are cultural differences, and of course, cultural differences matter. Right. Of course. Having said that, if you look at ways to measure friendship networks cross culturally, they all tend to look the same. You mm-hmm. get, you know, you get people to cluster into networks. It's not like a so-called random graph, or whatever that term is. Right. I, I collaborate with someone who knows a lot about graphs theory, so I didn't have to learn it, but, um, <laughs> you know, so the, these structures reproduce themselves and we tend to wanna to be in these tightly clustered where my friends know each other, right? So it's yeah. not like my friends don't know any of my other friends is that we are in closest. And I think that's one of the things that the digital age has done is it sort of made it much easier to stay in constant contact. With your friends even if it's virtual and yeah. i think that's what happened i don't know who knows i think that's what happened during lockdown too is that my sense oh, that, sure. yeah if we kind of like all got into our friendship networks even more because it was hard to meet new people and so yeah. you just said, oh let's hop on zoom and play yeah. you know a video game
0: no yeah. literally yeah it's funny but, you say that because um I have a question for you. After I, I, yeah, sorry. No, you're good. No, this is and honestly, I'm sorry if I going off topic of like stuff you don't research, but this is just good discussion. Um, So, I've noticed younger generations a couple things. One is they they're more socially awkward in person. So when I'm kind of having conversations with a millennial or some, I'm always making eye contact with them, which makes them feel uncomfortable. Um, They don't have those. they, they, They kind of don't pick up on social cues. I've noticed versus the people that are my friend group we do all of those things very strongly and i will say i don't i don't have a lot of like younger there's people that are under me in my in my company they don't have friends that they've ha- that they've been friends with for more than like 5 years i have a core group of like seven guys that i've been friends with for over 20 years and it's and i know you probably have that as well where you have colleagues and friends you've known for 20 30 years i don't really see that anymore and i think a big a big part of that is because like what you're saying, yeah, they're being like social ac- actively on like you know Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, all that stuff, but it's a different kind of like mm-hmm. interpersonal. You don't get that, right? Yeah. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah. No. I, I, I. You know, my normal answer to this is, oh, I wonder what the literature says, and I, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. And also, I think measuring that's going to try to be pretty hard, so I, I don't know. But yeah, that's sort of. I, I would not be at all surprised. And then you know, just to get, I I wonder if that. I, I don't know. I wonder a little bit about what the pandemic will have done to, sure. you know, these, the, the whatever generation, whether we're talking about school or whatever. But it, it definitely, there is something about electronic mediated communication that is a little bit different. I mean, yeah, I mean, pe- people, I agree with you. Like, I, you know, on my, when I was growing up, we didn't have, you know, could do Zoom calls. If you wanted to see your friend across the street, Go All across the street. street. Yeah. You could call or something like that, but you know, was, um, who's going to call? And every now and we did. Just show uh, up, knock on the
0: door. No, that's yeah, so yeah. true. That's that's what that's what I'll understand is like. I think there's a way of like it's so much easier to get behind a screen and get behind the keyboard and kind of like, oh, it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind. I said this, I did this, but like I don't got to deal with it anymore. When before you had to do everything in person. It's like, well, no, I gotta confront this. I gotta deal with this in real time. I feel like that's just a a, um, a kind of trait that is just not happening anymore, which could be for the good. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting.
1: It could be. It is interesting. I want. Uh, yeah. So there's a couple of things I would add to that. Which is, just, first of all, I, I agree with all that. So one one piece that goes all the way back to this notion of effort, which is that you know you can get a really quick kind of dopamine bump off of checking in with friends. Mm-hmm without having to go outside or put your feet on, shoes on or whatever. Sure. Again, I'm not even sure that's a bad thing, but just to say, I think it plugs into this notion of effort or whatever. There's another thing though, that a bunch of people have talked about um, and it kind of goes back to your comment about your TikTok trolls, which mm-hmm. is there's something about um, people are less inhibited in being mean when they're not in person. I mean, I've seen so many nasty interactions online i mean who hasn't like every time you open or whatever someone you know saying something nasty then the other whatever and they use language that is often quite in my intemperate i would say and then i you know i don't know about you maybe you've had a more exciting life than i have but when i think about the number of times in real life when i've heard any kind of temperature like you know the temperature has been raised in a conversation it's it's like I, I think it's a handful i mean
0: like never it's so it's rare it
1: never happens it's like no one no one challenges and maybe part of that's bad maybe we should be more aggressive but my my intuition on this is is that it's not the only times you really see this is you know i keep thinking about um you know nick rostakis at yale he was on the uh,
0: he, yeah i heard yeah, uh,
1: yeah remember so he, there's this video of of um someone yelling at him on the quad and um I think one of the things we used to instruct people was not because this guy was getting yelled at on the corner, it was just because, other than in movies and in and, and stage performances, we don't see this kind of very strong emotion and interpersonal interactions. You know, like, sure, every now and then you, you know, maybe you fight with your partner or something like that, right. and maybe raise voice or whatever. But, like, man, again, I could count on one hand. I mean, I think about like meetings, whether faculty meetings or meetings of business where someone says something that's a bit challenging, you know, well, well, Mike, um, yeah, uh, maybe we wouldn't have this problem if your your whatever your employee had done their job. Yep. Like if someone says that, you talk about that for weeks. <laughs> yep. Like so even that level, which is that it's not that salty, right? Yep. Um, but but that's like that would be zero on something like Twitter or one of the other. You know what I mean? Yeah, that'd so, be like
0: nothing. I mean,
1: <laughs> Where so I just so I, I'll just to pick up your point. I think there is something about. The long term, sort of the large scale effects of a world in which we're having these interactions at very high temperature, and yep. as a metaphor for emotional. Yeah, anything. yeah. So, um, that I, you know, again, like I go back to when I was, you know, again, I'm a dentist. So when we had comp, I don't know, like we, every now and then, sure, you're playing Capture the Flag and someone, you know, you, we said no, hiding the flag in the tree and yep. like you cheated. and. That was as bad as a got. Yeah, not like
0: <laughs> f you, you piece. Yeah, of shit. yeah I know. It, it's it, it's fascinating to me. And the in the and I'll say one more thing. And I have a couple other questions that yeah, I want to yeah, yeah. talk about, like uh, uh, like release and stuff like that. Like about about sex. Actually, I read one of your things and it was interesting about sex. But um, it's funny because the people that say the craziest shit to me on any social media platform, when I hit them back with like kindness or just like make them feel kind of like so dumb uh, they literally, I, I swear to God, every time they comment back, like something completely opposite of how they started, uh-huh. they don't, they don't come at me. And then other people, like I've gotten DMs of people like, man, I love how you handle your, your comments. You're not like, you don't give it back to them. Cause that's what they want. They want you to feed that, mm-hmm. um, for whatever reason. So I just, I just do the opposite and it's been, it's worked for me v- very well. Um, and it's just funny cause you're exactly right. I think also what happens is like, there's a lot of like, there's not a lot of conflict in, in real life. So like when it does happen, even on like a small scale, like I've been in business meetings where someone has said something about my department and I know I'll take it personally. Yeah. <laughs> why am I taking it? But it's not like they didn't say like, Hey, fuck you. They were just like, Hey, like this could have been done better. I get like, Oh man, this is I'm about to go crazy on this guy. And I got to think back, like, wait a minute, why am I getting teed up for this? And it's because I don't think I have a lot of, I avoid conflict anyways, personally, but There's not a lot of that going on, but on social media, it's so easy. And it's like you said, the temperature is like always at a hundred. It's never like, Oh, Hey man, you know, this podcast sucked. It's like, you're a piece of shit. Why are you talking to these people? I'm like, Jesus Christ guys. Like it's crazy, man. It's nuts. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I just, that just gave me this idea. Like, I love this. I imagine there were, maybe there is a social media thing where, you know, AI could, kind of read how emotional a particular post or something is and only post below you must be this calm to post on to this post, yeah. and it could just be for people like you know what what if we just had a non-drama
0: yeah no I agree you know I mean? yeah
1: would that great with them would that be like instead of you're whatever be I, I disagree a little bit with this claim and right there's some evidence that maybe you could tell me why you don't think it undermines you know what you I mean? Like, yeah i know i know exactly
0: what you mean yep. yeah it's it's I, almost like text too like you ever text someone and they take it wrong and i'm like dude i yeah. didn't mean it like that i wish text you could add like an emotion feature to like oh i'm saying it this way don't get butt hurt if i say yeah. it you, you know? have
1: heard of emojis though right because well the- emo-
0: yeah emojis yeah that's the other thing too depending on the generation and who the that's person right. is it, that can go over their head real oh quick God. you know
1: it's funny you say that because one of the uh, i had this interaction once where i my generation puts punctuation marks at the end of our sentences. So like- Are I you angry back, at me? Yeah, I put that, I just put back fine period. Cause I was like, oh, that's fine. Like I just literally meant fine. I got back, you know, we don't have to fight it. i what i doing? <laughs> and then she's like, well, why the period? I'm like, no, because- it's the end I of Literally, yeah. you know, yeah. just-
0: Dude, that's so true. Like with the, the, the periods or if you, uh, if if someone says something to you and it's like long-winded and you just send back okay or just right. K no need to be passive
1: aggressive but no just i was okay what?
0: yeah uh, it's, it blows my mind
1: yeah it Who my that, mind. what's that quote like the hardest thing about communication is thinking that it has taken place or something like that that's what, <laughs> literally it's yeah, yeah, there's the great like yeah, <laughs> so true yeah. anyway that's you that's
0: so true. yeah no you are good um okay so you mentioned you we're gonna move to like completely different topics oh, yeah, like, yeah, sex definitely. and orgasms and stuff like that because you talk about like uh, like release and stuff like that right like like a sexual release i have a question i don't know if this really entails or what your research is but like like humans i feel like can be selfish when it comes to sex right so is that because of like the 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 grando like the grandest like final destination is like an orgasm right so like we all know what that well most of us know what that feels like um so is that kind of why people can kind of be selfish in a way when it comes to that i don't know if you have any data on that or any insight but I, mean, I, I, don't just...
1: any, I don't have any data on this i i have i would only say that like here's the way i view it like the the way people are selfish in all different true domains true. and then i would say the way it manifests itself depends mm. on the domain so like if we're splitting a piece of pie and i take the bigger piece of pie well it's because i like pie and i'm hungry and i'm going to take the bigger piece of pie the, you know so it, everyone wants more you know it's the in many ways humans are complicated but in certain ways are pretty simple creatures right you right, just right. want to feed those primary desires so and by the way you know i think i think that your view i so maybe i shouldn't say this out loud but your view of orgasm as being the end point of sex i think some people who would say well this is a sort of a male view of it sure, you know, sure. yeah because i think And, and maybe not even just a male view. I think, I think you could say there's some people who, you know, the sublime aspect of it isn't surrounding the orgasm, it's about the social piece or, or whatever. I mean, you know, from an evolutionary point of view, of course, the orgasm is the piece that evolution needs to, you know, motivate you to that yeah. Um, But I think there's other, there's other Pieces in there that people find rewarding, and people will, and that's one of the. I don't know. I think this is a really interesting aspect of the modern world in, in terms of sexuality because it used to be that you know there are certain kinds of sexual appetites um, that were forbidden, like same yep. same sex stuff, yep. for example, right? And so um, there was a whole there was a whole bunch of people who were literally it was illegal for them mm-hmm. to you know indulge in their particular you know their sexual appetite and as sexual the rev- as the sexual revolution of the united states of course you know lots of things became liberal i mean it's a complicated it's a complicated topic but i think the short answer which is sort of the boring answer is that people are you know selfish in all kinds of ways And the bedroom the way it manifests itself is it's a usual thing i want to do more of the stuff that i like right I want, I want to do a few of the things that i don't like again part of the nice thing one of the great things about sex is that oftentimes the trans- whatever's happening is something that both people enjoy, right? There's right. This, it's, it's like any, it's, this is where the economics is helpful, right? So you have the double coincidence of wants. You have, you know, they both want the same thing. And so it works out really well. Um, and yeah, this is one of the reasons that, well, I mean, it, that's one of the things I think that's nice about liberalizing the sexual domain, which is that, again, taking the same sex piece, you know, we sort of, cultures chopped off this entire there's all these people who wanted to have this transaction no one was getting hurt and they were you know two people were better off and no one was worse off um and the culture sort of you know just said yeah you can't do that and then as things have liberalized more people have been able to do what they want I mean think of all the people who had to do stuff they didn't want to do right um because it wasn't there you know like if you're in in a society that condemns same-sex sexual relationships but you're also in a society where you know being single is condemned and there are still or historically there have been cultures like that i believe there are still cultures like that it's sort of tricky you're sort of in a tough
0: yeah, um, rock and a hard place yeah. literally yeah
1: so um yeah anyway
0: no that no that's good insight and you hit a lot of good points because I think about that often. because I have a lot of friends in the uh, in that community. I have a lot, you know, family members in that community. A lot of people that I love and respect in those communities. And I've never kind of, I was never raised in a way of like looking at like that. I've always been like a look at people as an individual and stuff like that. Whatever they do, you know, like you said, if they're not hurting someone and it's a mutual thing, like have at it. I don't. I've never thought of it that way. But it's interesting you say that because about the orgasm thing about being a male kind of. Thing, I, I agree with that, and I think a lot of that is kind of like. What we're what we've seen, at least me growing up in media and in movies and TV and stuff like that, it's always been like a a dominant thing of like a male, like oh they just want to just do that and get it over with. And you're right, like a lot of experiences that people probably have, and when it comes to you know sex and stuff like that, is kind of that one way type situation versus like, cause I know there's definitely other experiences and other things that if you get out of sex, hundred percent versus just an orgasm. Right. I think for me personally, and I'll be completely transparent is like me growing up. Like that's the kind of like mentality that I always had. Like, I got it. I got to do this. I got to make sure this other person does this as well. It's kind of yeah. like a pressure, which then adds crazy pressure and anxiety. Cause if you don't, it's like, fucking super awkward <laughs> like you know i don't know it's just interesting you say that because i totally believe that and then the other part of like those communities i mean think about i always when i talk to my uh my economist friend anthony davies who's like he's an economist but he's like just smart, smart just like you and like other things so we talk about suicide and stuff like that and the white males are the highest you know, pr- uh, prone of suicides, right? A lot of them are men who back in the day, like you're saying, were not able to come out and, and and enjoy and do the things that they wanted to do. Now they're wanting to do it and it's okay, but maybe they don't feel comfortable and stuff like that. So a lot of those people are committing suicide and it's a big problem in that community. And it's just, it's fascinating to me that all of those things can be linked uh, together. I know there's a lot there, but. It's yeah,
1: there was a lot there, but I, I mean, I totally agree with you. I mean, you know, again, People, I I think there's this sort of sense that people who study evolution that that we're not interested in in cultural variation. But Mm -hmm. you know, I I spent you know two years with Rob Boyd in anthropology department at UCLA, and um, one of my co-advisors was biological anthropologist. And um, one of the things that you know, one of the things I sort of spent some time doing was you know looking at cross-cultural whatever the norms very freakishly. And I think in some sense, you know, what you're describing, I think it's really important to say what you're describing is is basically what I think of sort of like this norm space that cultures operate under mm-hmm. where, where the, the, the culture says doing this is okay, doing that is not okay. And we're going to punish you through this, we're going to reward you through that. Yep. And you know, I think it's easy to lose sight of just how wildly different those different norm regimes are, and and this gets to your piece, the pre, you know, like the toll that I can take psychologically on people who live in a world in which whatever it is, you know, like as you're sort of indicating, um, is subject to social sanction. And you know, the thing about look, uh, culture is complicated. In the first, right. you know, it's Very complicated. But man. You never, you know, if you're born into the world, you never know what kind of culture you're going to be born into. Sure. I mean, a lot of variation, right? And so you get, you have some set of preferences, you have some set of tests, right? Your economist friend would talk about tastes and preferences and so on. And then you sort of just get thrown into the, this world and maybe the world will say, you can't do that or you must do that. And that's right. just all this amazing variation. And man, you really roll the dice every time you're born into a new culture. You know <laughs> that's I mean? so true. Uh, and it, it has, it, it's complicated. So, it is. yeah, and um uh, yeah. And this intersects again with the work that I've done on morality, which is, you know, moral judgment is a complicated thing, but it's a very strong thing. Right. I don't know. I keep thinking, oh. I, I watched that movie again about Alan Turing um, not too long ago, the imitation game. And
0: um, I haven't it. seen it. Oh, I highly no. commend
1: it to you. That's sort okay. of it's pretty fun. It's about Alan, his uh, project reverse engineering, the Enigma device uh, during the second world war. So right. he was the one who was instrumental in, um, reverse engineering so the so the allies could decipher and this is all just to say you know one of the things that the movie does is it paints this arc because he had a he you know his preference was for same-sex relationships and at that time in england that was that was a crime right and so the movie does a good job and i don't you know i can't speak to the details of how accurate the movie is and all of its particular details but you see this guy and he he sort of saves the world. I mean, that's probably a little strong, but you know, he's instrumental and in, in a big part of the war effort. And then, you know, because he lives in this world that has said what you want to do is not morally okay. You know, it ultimately leads him to to kill himself. And I didn't mean to bring down your podcast.
0: No, no, I talk about some crazy but, shit on here, man. You uh,
1: I mean, again, the title. So, like, yeah. here's the like the one version of us. It, yeah, this guy saves the world, and then and then everyone says, yeah, but you're bad, so we're gonna kill you. Yeah, yeah I mean, they, he'd kill.
0: It's like him. what the hell
1: what am I
0: going
1: to do? You know, it's, it, it's, and it's you know, and he's not, again, I think the key piece is don't get me wrong. Like there's certain kinds of things. If you hurt somebody, then that's bad. Like you right. shouldn't do anything that's non-consensual and there's some preferences that are probably along those lines. And I, of course, that's bad. No one should be, no one should do anything that, you know, is, is a uh, coercive, right. but that wasn't Turing's thing. He just happened to be, that just happened to be his preference. And he's in this norm space at the time was like, yeah can't
0: do that right yeah that's crazy okay. i'm gonna check that movie out because it's like right, i think right. i know what you're talking about
1: yeah
0: yeah um too what think. what's
1: that check it out and
0: see what you think oh yeah no i love i'm obviously like watching movies um so let's talk about like self-control um that's something that you that you wrote about but is self-control because you kind of wrote about it as like it's like a good thing right like self-control is a good thing. is it always a good thing though can it can you yeah, have too that's, much
1: yeah, that's too that's a complicated question <laughs> Yeah, I mean, every, every, these all things Sorry. are awesome. No, no, no. It's Um, I mean, so here's the way I sort of think about it is that usually when we talk about self control, it's so I like, I think it was Steve Pinker who made this remark about writing. He says, uh, I don't like writing, but I do. say like, Pinker, I like, right? I think it was Pinker. He said, yeah. I don't like writing, but I like having written. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, I think of self control as you live in this world, and there's some things you can do which are rewarding kind of in the short term now. Um, but not really great for the long term and then there's some things you can do which are rewarding in the long term but not sort of very rewarding now so like i don't know about you but i mean work so writing is one of these things where it's sort of a pain to do but once you're dying, you're like oh i i read a thing that's mm-hmm. cool working out is like that where you're like you know it's 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 uncomfortable for whatever it is half an hour an hour a day but you're always glad you did it, and I think those are kinds of examples of self-control where you're right. you are somehow like doing the thing that is long-term good at the cost of enjoying something which is short-term fun or whatever. The cases where I think it, I think it can ride off the rails, and I think it can ride off the rails once you get, I mean, so deeply into something where because the, there's some things where the returns to effort are increasing. So if you become the best in the world at something whatever but there's some kinds of returns to effort that have no ultimate payoff uh like i think there's some people who get really good at video games and well maybe you can get benefits from that now because there's all these oh, yeah. competitions but in my day you know <laughs> you know like i'm gonna i'm gonna clear every board of you know super mario yeah. and i'm gonna sit here yeah. until yeah. i do it like
0: you're not getting paid back then for that yeah though.
1: so like that's a sense in which i think and i think there's probably other kinds of self-control i don't yeah. know i i I think that some things become virtuous, like you get you get kind of like you feel like you're getting prestige points for being self controlled but you're doing something which isn't particularly useful. Just
0: um, in the long term,
1: yeah. Right. So I think usually it's pretty good. I mean, so you know, back when I was at, at Penn, Angela Duckworth, you know, her whole business was great. You know, you have her on if you can get her too, yeah. and that was all about perseverance. And you know, her basic claim was if you persist in a task, despite you know, the obstacles, including just the fact that you don't want to do it, then you're going to be more successful. And you know, she thought that that was responsible for a scholastic achievement, for example. I don't know how well that works, how that, but, um, and so in cases like that, yeah, I think this is another aspect of the modern world that inter, inter, intersects or sort of interferes because I don't, again going back like when i talk about video games when i was a kid they're gonna, grandpa tell us the story when i was a kid <laughs> um you know we had i i kid you not um we had Pong. so it was, this, it was this console yeah it was this console that my parents bought and we put it in front of the television You put the wire in or whatever and there were two little knobs and we would run from the dinner to table, my brother and i because it was like no it's Pong. You know, yeah. right now you wouldn't whatever but all i'm saying is like there's all these really fun things you could do that are distracting in the modern world that just wasn't the case before you know yeah. like right. now you can flip on like just before i did i got on here i saw that there's a new trailer for the jurassic park
0: i watched it last night yeah i want to watch it you know what i mean so
1: good yeah it
0: looks original you know, cast looks, looks great you know, magical so I like
1: there's all these things that distract our attention. And so I think this, you know, this is one reason why sort of exerting self-control is harder now is because you know the old marshmallow task that everyone talks about, right? So it's like, you are the marshmallow oh wow, you're like the last person.
0: Yeah, I'm the only person on earth that doesn't know. What yeah,
1: doesn't matter. So and I can't remember the guy's name, but the bit is you take a you have a child in a laboratory, you put a marshmallow in front of them, and you say to the child, if you wait five minutes and don't eat the marshmallow, I'll give you two marshmallows. And so the, the task is basically how long can you go before you eat the marshmallow? Meat? I've
0: seen that. It's like a social experiment. Yeah. So it's yeah I've seen an
1: experiment. that. Like, and I, I don't know how well this is done either, but you know, they you get got these great videos out of it back when you couldn't record it. And like the kids is like staring at the marshmallow. Like, you know, it's like, oh, I want it
0: now. Yeah.
1: All I'm saying is like, if you think it's hard not to eat the marshmallow because whatever, imagine what it's like for, you know, you're, you're a, whatever, there's all these things that you can consume around you. There's media and there's, you know, likes on your Facebook. I think it's, I I think it's, it's amazing that we can do anything at all anymore because there's so many things that have been designed technologies that have been designed to get our attention, right. Right. That's going back to your point about that social network. People have engineered the world to get our attention. And so like, yeah, when you're doing your job or you're sitting around, you know, there's a part of your mind that knows I could check that trailer now, you know, I, I could go whatever, whatever it is that, whatever sparks joy in you. Whatever yeah, no.
0: Pleasure. It's so funny you say that because uh, you brought up a great point earlier about like the working out situation. So um, I do uh, jujitsu, right? And I just, I just, I haven't done it in like six months because I just moved here and I haven't found a really good school. And I used to drive in Maryland. I, when I lived in DC, I would drive in almost an hour and a half every twice a week oh, wow. at seven o'clock to be at the class at seven o'clock in the morning in Columbia, Maryland. It was my buddy's school fantastic school fantastic environment but it's funny because i would always drag myself out of bed not wanting to go hating the drive miserable the entire way soon as i get there i'm like uh but the moment i'm like in it and i leave it's so crazy i'm like i can't be- i literally tell myself i can't believe i didn't want to go this morning i know it's i yeah. don't know why that is
1: I share that experience with you. So for me, it was my CrossFit gym. Yeah, this is the longest I've gone. Was, well, I guess we not for an hour without mentioning CrossFit. Yeah. That's probably a record <laughs> for every CrossFit. Um, like I had exactly the same experience as they, so for a little while, my gym had only classes at stupid o'clock in the morning. And mm-hmm. so I was getting up at whatever it is, 5.30. And for me, it was a short trip there. And the whole time I'm like, oh, this is going to suck. And I want to go to right. sleep. And then you do the, you do the workout, the wad, as you know, we call it. The wad. yeah. yep. Yeah, yeah. I'm just using the lingo because it's so irritating for people here. Uh, What's a lot, you know? Yeah. Yep. And I'm like, ah. First of all, like you just feel so good. I'm ready yep. to hit the day. I'm so glad I came. And there's also the social aspect because it's a nice gem, As you know, you know, you can imagine. Yeah. A social piece. It's that's it. It's like I think that that's why I like that Steve quote. It's like I don't, I don't like writing. I like having written. You know. Yes. When it, when I don't like the idea of like going across but, but man, Do I like having gone? You know what I mean?
0: Yep. No, I know exactly yeah. what you mean.
1: So yep. I think the way I think about it, and this goes back to the other things we haven't talked about. You know, so one of the things I, I think a lot about is a is is modularity. This idea yep. that
0: I have a question about that. Yep.
1: Yeah, there's sort of functional pieces, and I think that there's some systems in our head which are just sort of like kind of designed around short-term gains, so like food stuff and so on. And then you have these other modular systems that are designed around long-term gains. Mm-hmm. Um, building up status, building up, you know, your physical fitness and so on. It's like, this is ongoing little battle in your head between the short-term modules, and the long-term modules. And in the morning, it's the short-term modules. are like me want sleep, me like not.
0: And then the long-term modules,
1: well, we're going to be in better shape. I don't, I don't know who I'm imitating right now, but you know, this is, this is some of the weird long-term module. I, I don't know where they're from, but they're, you know, that, that's how they talk they talk like an aristocrat you know yeah, it, yeah. Oh, well be in better hello. shape yeah. yes hello <laughs> if, 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 should we go to this workout you know i think british all of a sudden you know, So, like i think and i think like i actually sort of think that's literally true is that the long term ones send inhibitory messages the long term ones longer ones send inhibitory whatever and they battle out and then whoever wins you either get up or you don't you know what i mean yeah
0: yeah yeah, yeah. Super yeah, team. no, that makes a lot of sense, I, and that's the other thing I was going to ask you about is like, like the moral uh, was it cognition that you have and that you talk about?
1: Yeah, so modular cognition. I sort I, I, like I said, I so I, I did some stuff trying to think about the really the basic way that the mind is structured, and there's this big debate between is it one big general computing device or is it a lot of different sub-teams? And I right. take our view was basically well,
0: right. Sure. Yeah. So, and I, I kind of see that because like for me the short term module modules went a lot because yeah. I, I kind of like gratification, instant gratification and stuff like that. I, I'm not, I'm a creative person, so I'm not the most organized. I'm not, we do, we do disc assessments for work, right? I'm sure you've heard of the disc assessment, like you're a high I, high D. It's, it's really a great way to learn how to communicate to people. Like for example, uh, I am a kind of go-getter. Like I, I wanna do things now instant, right? <clears throat> so if I'm given a task and it has a deadline of like whatever, I'm kind of a hybrid where I'm like, I'm definitely a procrastinator, but I also love, I'm a go-getter. So let's say my boss sends me an email or a text on a weekend at like seven o'clock PM. I'm hundred percent going to read it. It's going to bother me for the rest of the weekend. It's going to ruin my day. Yeah. So when we take these tests, they know that's how I communicate what I don't like, what I do like. So that way they can communicate with me instead of sending it to me on Sunday, where I'm watching football, I'm doing whatever I'm doing, and I want to enjoy the day and I have a clear head. Now I got all that stuff going on. This can wait till Monday because they know that's how I would receive things. Um, but I agree with you, like with the the short term stuff and the long term stuff. But like I said, I think a lot of my stuff is I need stuff now. I don't. I never think of like, oh yeah, jujitsu. I've doing it for a year and a half. I don't look at like, oh, I'm gonna be a black belt one day. I'm doing it as a hobbyist. But at the end, I could be a black belt one day. It's gonna take like a decade. But I don't, I don't, I don't think of it like that.
1: The long-term gains are not just like the social marking of the belts, right? Because okay. the long-term gains of, of you know, jujitsu are you get other benefits from it. Not the least of which is that you're in better shape, right? So like, you know, you're trading off the time now for the health later. I think that's what you think about it is that you know all the, these the, the things that are sort of unpleasant. And this goes back to right at the top of the conversation. They're unpleasant because even though they lead to long-term good outcomes, there's other things you could be doing now that lead to short-term reward. You know what I mean? Like, as again, like diets are like this, like, yeah, it's fun to eat a cupcake, but you know, then you bear the cost of, of, you know, the, the, you know, the nutritional piece of that. Right. But like a lot of life is just really just is this kind of tension between the short in the long term. I just have this, I don't know, this is a complicated topic. I have a feeling that we're going to learn that culture and development and all these things. You know, you mentioned the disc and I was I, you know, the individual difference stuff is it's very complicated. Mm-hmm. I also wonder about the cultural piece of that. Like I, I I have the sense that different cultures have weighted, you know, this trade-off in different directions. Um, you know, I mean I grew up in a Jewish household and my parents they told me that the reason that they valued education so much, and I don't know if this is true or not, but they they always linked it up to their Judaism. They said, "Well, we value oh. education like,
0: because just yeah. Jewish people yeah. in yeah. general got, value.
1: that was their claim." I mean, I I don't know if it you know I, I wasn't I don't know if it's true or not, but it was always they they didn't say they I don't remember them saying you know you should get educated because it's going to be good for you the long way. They said, "As well, you know."
0: No, that happens culturally yeah, so, yeah. all the time. I mean, people that come to America that are first. I did a documentary. I went to Sierra Leone,
1: oh, wow. um,
0: and I did a documentary on um, kind of like cultural identity, right? So uh, it's really it's it can not just with Africans, but with any generation. Um, your parents are so you're what your first generation?
1: No, we were. I think. Uh, third, I, I'd have to, I think it's okay. there it for a minute, but they still talked a lot about the old, you
0: know. the old country and stuff. Right. Okay. So, so for example, like a first generation, like, um, if someone from Sierra Leone brings is from Sierra Leone comes to America in the eighties, nineties, their children are, uh, it was fascinating. They, they would be in America and people would be like, Oh, where are you from? Well, I'm from America. No, no. Where are you from? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm, I'm from Sierra Leone. And then when they go to Sierra Leone, uh, you're American, you're not Sierra Leone. So it was interesting because like that whole community, any kind of first generation was so entrenched in education is everything laws because they didn't get that back then, but it was just like a cultural thing where like, to your point, it wasn't like, Oh, well, it's going to change your life. It's going to give you better opportunities. It's like, no, this is just what we do. This is number one priority. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, again, I, I, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, uh, I was reading a little bit of Thomas Sowell. Is that a name that means? He's an economist at Stanford. Yep. Um, and he does this kind of cultural analysis of different kinds of norm traditions in, in different societies. I find it, yeah, I'm not in a good position to evaluate that work. He gets yep. much more texture than I do, but, um, yeah, again, I, I, think one of the weird things about the evolutionary point of view from that I came into the world in is that, you know, far, we don't, you know, we were very interested in cultural differences. And I have this, you know, I think it's undeniable. There's all these like really profound ways like the one that you're describing. And then when cultures intersect and so on, um, super interesting. And I do, it's complicated. I, I could even, I don't know, I could imagine, you know, I mean, there's there's definitely, you could imagine there's definitely worlds in which you don't want to be long-term oriented, right? If, if life yeah. is, nasty brutish solitary and sure if you're if you're in a place where it doesn't make sense to invest in yourself in the long term then maybe make more short-term decisions and i think for a lot of human history it was like that where life was uncertain you know life was uncertain you can sure. so you know i think it really took something to, for humans to sort of get to this point where we do invest so much in our future selves right uh, i totally agree with you and, i totally.
0: yeah i mean me personally i was never grown up to i literally i mean i was always class clown I never not straight a student Um, if I went to school now and I was like, if I started over and I was born like 10 years ago and I started now, I would be flourishing because there's so many more opportunities for creative people in certain schools. There's a school right down the road for me called the Da Vinci Academy. I'm like, it it literally, it's like basically like x band. it's like, Oh, for gifted. And I'm like, I would kill in that place. I was, it's so cool. And I would, I never, we never had that. It was like, Oh, well I don't do good in math or science or history. Uh, so like i'm i'm not going to go anywhere I, my parents never talked to me about oh hey what do you think about college they didn't go to college so like it, it was never but i think that's also a cultural thing in a way um not so much individual cuz a lot of my friends parents never went to college they never went to college and they're they're fine i'm fine but it's just like it's interesting cuz i i don't blame my family for that but it's just like damn like it would have been nice to maybe have a conversation cuz i'm sure you, you like you said your your parents push that and you probably from early on till you went to college yeah. and, and look how many colleges you went to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And if you'd gone to the, I mean, it would have been cool to see what superpower you got. Yeah. Right.
0: That
1: would have been cool. That would've that would've been been something good.
0: Yeah. yeah. Hopefully. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. I, yeah, these are all super interesting points. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. So one of the things I, I, I did in the before times before the pandemic was I, um, I volunteered to teach cooking in a local school here in Philadelphia. Cool. You like to cook? I do like to cook, but I'm terrible. (laughs) Oh, yeah, no, I'm a big fan. Um, But also, like, it was just a way for me to kind of give back to the community. Give back, right, yeah, yeah, cool. um, Just on the point of public schools, yeah, I, I think everyone who does, you know, who's involved in these systems, they do their best. But yeah, I guess one of the things that struck me was the way the kids sort of felt like the cooking they didn't put it this way but you could sort of tell it would, it seemed to them it was a way in which they were able to express some creativity which i don't feel like they were necessarily getting i don't right. mean that as a diss at all no i know
0: what you mean i know exactly yeah. what you're talking um, about
1: i'm trying to say it as a positive thing that they they sort of felt like oh this is you know this is a way that it's a little different, and don't express
0: um, themselves. They get yeah, yeah. it's. They might fall into that. They might. They might not even realize they like cooking, unless okay. if they had that experience with you.
1: Yeah. So and some of them don't, by right. the way. Um, <laughs> yeah. No. And then and so, you know, anyway, it's it, and there you again. You see all the individual. This is the, the kids are all. They're great, right, but they're also different. You know, some of them like cleaning, which honestly I kind of get. Like I, I have also yeah. You know, there's times I'm like, you know what.
0: And and it can be therapy i love doing yeah, the that dishes the good. dishes are very therapeutic for me yeah. I, it's a time of myself i mean it's my fiance zen. it is then yeah. my, is my fiance corinne's like i love that you love doing it because i hate it <laughs> like all right perfect yeah, that's it's a like, good fit it's a good fit yeah yeah, yeah. um i know it started to go off topic and stuff like that but i just find that it's so interesting you said that about the judaism and school and i i can totally relate to that with my experience on the documentary yeah. and stuff like that but um so i'll one more question and then i'll yeah. let you go so in your book um, about being hip, like hypocar, hip, hypocr- hip hypocr- I can't even say it. Hypocrisy. Hi- hypocrisy. Yeah. Jesus Christ, Corey. Um, so w- you said self in there. There's like a piece where you're talking about self. What did you mean by that? I
1: think when I write about that, I think what I said was that I deny there is such
0: a thing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. To elaborate on yeah. you, like, you deny that there is like a self. Like, yeah. what? Do you, what did you mean by that?
1: this is another one of those things where it's, it's like, so complicated. I know it's, it's I was going to say, it's quite a lot. To it's like You yeah. know, we got to get stoned. And then we talk, what do you mean by the self? What do you mean? There is no self. And while we're on the subject, do you ever look at your hand? Oh you know? man. Uh, what? So uh, here's what I, I, here's what I think is the most important thing about the notion of self is like, yeah, there's, I don't think there's, I think a lot of people, their intuitions or even, you know, their, if they're scientists, their commitments is like, there's some part of your brain, which is like the core you, Okay. What I really like back in the day, so I another weird fact about me is that I worked at uh, Disney World for a while. So after college, I worked at Disney World. And I worked at an attraction called Cranium Command, which Ooh. is no longer there because they lost their sponsors. At a, It was a pavilion called the Wonders of Life called Cranium Command. And the idea was there was this little guy, his name was Buzzy, and he was the pilot of the brain. He was the brain pilot. Cool. And so he like caused the legs to move and he like did all the thinking. And I think when people talk about the South, they actually think that there's like a little Buzzy inside their head. There's like okay. one... Wonder- like the guy who's in charge, you know, there's the central command unit, you know, there's, and all I'm trying to say is that can't be right. Cause then it leaves this problem. Well, what's inside his brain. You know, like what's in there. Right. What's so making him
0: do this. this yeah. Is.
1: So yeah. it's gotta just be a bunch of pieces. That's the main point is that whatever your brain is, it's a bunch of pieces and there's no part of it, whether you want to talk about that, like as a physical part or like as a computer code part, that's like you per se, like that's the self and that's all i mean by you sort of when i say selflessness in that sense i just mean it's it's a fool's errand to look for the seat of your identity because your identity is distributed out Oh you know again i don't want to be too like i love that whoa man you're <laughs> you know like i used to guest lecture i think it was a robert wright's class or he wrote i think why buddhism is true and it was a nice fit with some of the ideas he'd been mm-hmm. kicking around so like there is this meeting of the whatever but that's all i'm trying to say is that there's no like there's no you in there there's no there's no buzzy who's running the sh- running the right. show that's that's kind of what i'm trying to say
0: it's like is it like all those module uh, modulars and stuff like that that are kind of like dispersing certain situations and decisions
1: Totally, exactly. So different environments kind of recruit different modular systems to get active. It's like, okay, now it's your turn to make a decision because it's, you know, relevant to food, or it's your turn to make right. a decision is relevant to whatever and so it's just like it's all this dynamic systems process and that's what i'm trying to say there's no you know there's like no underlying there There.
0: right right they're all kind of working together depending on there's not one central that's making all the decisions
1: exactly there there could be some pieces that are sort of higher up like the memory systems and so on but yeah it's a distributed system somehow we sort of feel unitary but like that doesn't necessarily tell you anything you know you could feel like a ham sandwich i mean that you could just be you know what i mean like yeah no i know what yeah. of, You know what I mean? feelings are not a good way to arbitrate how this worked that's all,
0: right. all. damn okay that clear because then i was like looking at it i was like i don't have the book i was reading like uh they gave me like 15 or 20 pages of like audible or whatever so i was like yeah. looking at that, and and then i was just like interesting like what what you i didn't get to the point because you kind of talked about that i think maybe at, towards the end but like about the self and i was like interesting that's Kind of, a lot of people feel. I think feel like they have that self in them. Yeah, like it's more like. Would you say psychedelic? Kind of like. I
1: think, that's like an, yeah, I think it's like an illusion. I think we all, and then sometimes the illusion gets really messed up because, like, you know, you have these pathological cases where people don't have a singular sense of self, and we think of them as like, oh. Mm, mm. So yeah, I, I think that's an illusion, and it almost, I, yeah, I, I just think that's that's how we feel, but that's not how it is. It's it's just right. a. It's like, I've, I, Marvin Minsky has a book, Society of Mind from way back, like 1975. Wow. And I think he kind of, you know, this was before a lot of the, obviously advancements in cognitive science. I think he pretty much, cause he was an AI guy. Right. So if you're a computer person, if you're a programmer, you realize, oh, I can't have one piece of code that runs the whole show. I'm just going to have lots of different subroutines. Yes. That's the key piece.
0: Uh, that makes sense. Okay. It's kind of like, I, I uh, have a little bit of experience in like WordPress and like building websites. So like, there's not one thing I can do to make the website look and function how I need it to. There's fucking plugins. There's all kinds of stuff that I have to have to make it all work. So
1: totally. In my world, things like plugins just are the same as modules. So modules are like any functionally specified piece of information processing. That's it. It's just something that. So plugins are exactly that. Subroutines are exactly that. You know, function calls are just, so I just think the mind is like a lot of that. It's all these little function calls.
0: That makes so much sense. Thank you for clearing oh, that up. Yeah. Um, also, I forgot to mention where I found you. I found you from, I, I literally Googled top uh, psychologists uh, and you came up, top 50 of the most um, influential psychologists in the 21st century, I think, or 20th century, one of the two, probably 21st century, but.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm humbled to be able <laughs> I'm just yeah. happy to have, have had the chance to, to chat with
0: you. Yeah. It's no, I, and I really appreciate taking the time because I, I there's a lot of really interesting people on there that are, like world-renowned so I just thought it was fascinating that you were on there and your work is like it just stuck out to me because there's a lot of people on that list that did a lot of cool shit but like yours just kind of like stuck out I was like I, I I kind of like deal with that kind of stuff so I was just curious and I like yeah. to speak to experts about that stuff but dude thank yeah, you no, so I'm, much
1: oh it was my pleasure it was super fun chat
0: yeah, yeah man is there anything else you want to talk about or where can people find you you have any books coming um, out
1: no, you know, I don't like to, I don't like to do my self-promotion. I mean, it's funny. So I, I will say I one tiny bit of self-promotion, which we'll see what happens. But one of the things I've did, I've done with my extra time is I've, um, going back to the point about economics. So and I work in the nonprofit space. So I, um, it turns out that there are certain kinds of auctions that are good for raising more money and some that are bad for raising money. And there's this whole set of theories and economics about auctions, which most people think in auctions is some guy with the gavel, yeah. Yeah, three hundred, three hundred, three hundred. There's actually yeah. different ways to do it. So just tomorrow, um, I've started a little company called Optimal Auctions, taking what we know from the laboratory experiments and experimental economics, and applying that to say, well, how could we design an auction that is more appropriate for a nonprofit hmm. so that they can raise more money right. from them? And so we are doing, we're doing like a, a soft open tomorrow. Um, so look for Optimal Auctions down the line. It could be that if it works, we'll you know we'll market it. If not. Never mind.
0: Yeah, forget this you know, that ever yeah,
1: happened. Don't forget this ever.
0: Yeah, that's
1: yeah. Not the stories we're
0: looking for. That, uh, yeah. you know,
1: um, in terms of finding me, like you said, there's the book. Uh, if people are interested in that notion, it's called Why Everyone Else Is a Hypocrite. Princeton University Press. You can still get it on Amazon, but that's yeah. all I'm going to plug.
0: Okay, cool. I'll put all those links in the description. <laughs> if you want to send me the the link to the soft opening, because this episode's going to hit Monday, this coming okay. Monday, um, so in a couple days. So I'll put the link in the description. Anything you want me to, um, cool. but. Man, Robert, I really appreciate you coming through.
1: My pleasure. Yeah, it was good. This was a fun chat.
0: It was a fun chat. I, I really uh, I really appreciate it. I learned a lot, and I hope all my, my viewers and watchers uh, learned a lot. But that's another episode for the E4 Explosive Podcast. We'll see you next time.